Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Thanks so much for, uh, for reading for us, Carolyn. Um, keep that scripture passage open. We are beginning a short uh, mini-series in the Armour of God, which uh, the kids should be uh, very uh, familiar with from Sunday school. But uh, before we consider this text together, let's ask God to, uh, to help us, shall we? Let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for uh, words of truth, as we've just sung about, that, uh, through which you can strengthen and change our hearts and uh, equip us and enable us to stand firm. And so, Lord, we pray that you will uh, encourage us, build us up, strengthen us today by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with uh, an unofficial survey here. Um, I'm curious about who has heard a sermon series on the armor of God before. So, what about a show of hands? Put up your hand if you've ever heard a sermon series on the armor of God. That's quite a few. So, I'll hand over to you now. No, well, the kids, as I mentioned, should be familiar with the armor of God, particularly from Sunday school. And grown-ups, uh, it looks like for most of you, this could in fact be the best sermon series that you've ever heard on this topic, uh, because it would be the only one. And now, for those who've studied this before, maybe you have seen props, maybe even the sermon series that you have heard. And maybe you've seen uh, things like Roman breastplates and helmets. I thought about uh, Brian, like up here, I could have had him wearing the armor and everything. <laughs> At the very least, you will have seen pictures, I think, in a study Bible perhaps, uh, the armor of God. I mean, it's actually a pretty exciting theme, isn't it? But what does it mean, the armor of God? Uh, as a young Christian, I remember, I, I was told, you need to put on the armor of God every day. And so, so I literally did this. I, I got up and I said to myself, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm putting on the belt of truth, uh, the helmet of salvation. And... Uh, I would sort of go through it like that. And my question is, is that, is that what God wants us to do? You see, one of the challenges I've found as I have considered the passage here is this. Uh, often we take a passage like this, the armor of God, and we, we easily pull it out of its context. We get drawn into background information, all of the details of the different parts of armor worn by Roman soldiers, and that, of course, is important. But amid that background, we often miss the background information within the text itself. And how does this relate to what comes before? Uh, this is the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It, we should do that, but surely as some kind of conclusion. And so this is going to be a four-week series, as it turns out. And in this series, I have really one main aim. I want us to view the armor of God in the context of the whole of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, as we'll see, most of the things that we read about here have come up before. Uh, the idea of righteousness, of truth, of salvation, these things aren't new. Nor is the focus on evil forces that exist in the heavenly places. Now, even in the opening verses, verses 10 through 13, we see this strong link. As Paul introduces this idea of the armor of God, it, it ties in closely with what he said earlier. 
Uh, and this is what I hope we'll see as we consider three things. Uh, verses 10 through 13 call us, firstly, to be strengthened by God, uh, to take our stand against the schemes of the devil. To be strengthened by God, that will be our first point. Uh, to take our stand, that's the second. Uh, what do we take, uh, take our stand against? Well, it is against the schemes of the devil. Uh, that's the final point we'll consider as we look at what this text says about our mortal enemy. Uh, but first, let's consider this call to be strengthened by God. Uh, look down at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, the fundamental point here is that we have to rely on God and his mighty power. And this theme of God's power isn't new. It is, in fact, <coughs> in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, turn back with me to chapter 1 and you'll see this. Chapter 1 opens with this, this dramatic description of God's cosmic plan. Uh, that plan includes blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There we go, the idea of heavenly places. But we'll come back to that. Uh, but apart from simply blessing us, this plan has a cosmic scope. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus. And we laid out that plan, God praise. Uh, he prays for us. Uh, he prays that God will help us by His Spirit to understand it. And more specifically, look at chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, therefore, praise uh, that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened to understand three things. Firstly, that we might know the hope to which God has called us. Secondly, that we might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then look at the third thing. This really is the main focus, the one that Paul unpacks. Go down to verse 19. Uh, Paul wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Uh, that is his power toward us who believe. And what is this power of God? Well, it's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, and actually, throughout the rest of the letter, Paul goes on to unpack this great power of God, God's might, his strength, in greater detail. And that's what chapters 2 through 3 are all about. They're descriptions of different dimensions of God's saving power. Uh, for example, chapter 2, 1 through 10, tells us this, that in his great power, God has, has brought us up from the deepest depths. We've been raised from death in our sins. We've been made alive and we've been raised up to heaven with Jesus. And then in chapter 2, 11 through 22, we see his power displayed in another way. But we were once far off, but in his great power, that though we were estranged from God, God has powerfully brought us near. And then in chapter 3, we see the power displayed yet again. But we see how God in his power has overcome our ignorance. Uh, this is the great mystery, the mystery of Christ that has now been revealed. Uh, and so, having laid out this description of God's saving power, Paul prays again that we'll understand. He prays that we'll be strengthened by God's Spirit uh, to understand not only God's power, but His love, the height, the depth, and the breadth of it. And so, power is a big theme here. And so it's no surprise, having described God's mighty power in so many ways, Paul closes in this way. He reminds us that having seen God's power now as Christians, we have to daily rely upon it. To be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Uh, you can't go it alone, he says. You need the power of Almighty Lord to go with you. Uh, it's like the time I was out on the beach uh, with some friends of mine. Uh, we were uh, taking a trip out to the ocean and we had brought some kayaks along with us. Uh, I might have told some of you this story before, but I, I decided to take a trip out on one of those kayaks with a friend of mine, a good friend, Reuben. Uh, we put on our life jackets, we got into the boat, and we started to paddle out. Uh, we were quite away from shore, out of the sight of our friends, that's an important detail. And, uh, and Reuben asked me, so Mark, when did you first get into kayaking? 
And I said, Ruben, this is my first time. I've never been on a kite before. And Ruben started to look just a, a little bit sheepish. Uh, Oki said, this is my first time too. I assume that you were the one who knew what you were doing here. And now I'm not going to go into details, but the sea was a little bit rough that day. And on occasion, I think uh, Ruben and I thought we were going to drown. Now it wasn't too bad, uh, but we were very relieved when we finally made it to shore. Uh, but life can in some ways be like that, can't it? It's Nick and Philip are all together stuck in the boat. Uh, the sea is raging around us, and, and no one knows quite what they're doing. No one knows quite where they're going. And well says all that damage is true. That's an accurate assessment of life. Uh, but just like the disciples in that storm on the Sea of Galilee, we should never forget who is in the boat with us. He who commands the wind and the waves with a word. Uh, he who raises the dead. Uh, the God who has raised you. The God who has brought you near. The God who has opened your blind eyes. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, be strengthened by God. Don't forget that God is with you. And this surely is the whole last point of the armor analogy, isn't it? Uh, we get focused on the armor of God, but, but what does that mean? Why is this armor significant? Well, the point is not that we have to put on physical armor as much as I love all of the uh, items of armor the kids have been making in the Sunday school. I know the armor is an illustration. Or well, what is this armor? Or why did the soldier put it on? Well, the whole point of armor is to protect you, isn't it? And you rely on armor to keep you safe in war. And so what is the armor of God? Well, we could say in one sense, the armor is God, isn't it? We need to rely on God to keep us safe. I mean, how easily do we turn to other things? We trust in money, we trust in power, we trust in politics. But we trust so often in ourselves as if with our own wisdom we can navigate life's storms safely. And Saul says, Paul, you need to be strengthened by God. You need to rely on God and His strength. But what do we need to be strengthened for? That's such an important question. We need God's strength for a lot of things. In fact, God's power is what keeps us alive every day. Uh, we need his power just to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, sometimes we feel that more than others, don't we? Uh, we need God's power to trust in Jesus Christ. We need God's power in order to serve him. Uh, God gifts us and empowers us uh, to live with him and to serve him in so many ways. But, but what is the focus here in, in the book of Ephesians? And what do we see here in Ephesians 6? Why do we need God's power according to these verses? Uh, well, look down at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 again. And finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so secondly, what we see is that we need to be strengthened by God to take our stand. To take our stand. Uh, we need to be strengthened to stand firm. And in case you aren't convinced of that, look at, at verse 13, because we see the idea set out again. And therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. And in verse 14, continue. Stand, therefore. Uh, hopefully you're getting the message. And we need to stand. But what does that mean? Well, I think the emphasis is, is not so much on offense as on defense. And just recently in our house, we watched uh, The Wizard of Oz together uh, for the first time. And when I think about standing firm, I think about that early scene uh, with the tornado. And the storm picks up over these houses. You can see it spinning along with various other things uh, spinning past the window. 
And then I finally land on the, the Wicked Witch of the East or the West. I can never remember which witch is which, if you excuse the time. Uh, but uh, Ephesians talks about storms like that, doesn't it? In chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, Paul writes how easily we can be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine. Like a terrible storm, false teaching can pick us up and, and throw us down. Uh, and as I think even about those waves, I think about that uh, terrible tragedy recently. Uh, that submersible that was heading down uh, to the sea to, to see the Titanic, the whole crushed under the weight of the sea. And in, in a similar way, we can be crushed. Crushed by our suffering, crushed perhaps by peer pressure in a culture that doesn't know Jesus. And that is why we need God's strength. Uh, we need it to stand firm. We need it just to stay still. Uh, we need it to keep our faith intact. We need to stand. And again, in Ephesians, this idea of standing really stands out, if you can excuse another pun. Yet again. Uh, but up to this point in the letter, it's interesting, there's a contrast here. Uh, because up to this point, the focus in Ephesians has not so much been on standing as on walking. Uh, ever since chapter 4, verse 1, walking has been a key theme. In fact, the idea even comes from earlier in chapter 2. But turn with me and look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, writes Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy. That really could be a title that we could write over the second half of the letter from 4 to chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, walking uh, is something that's key to the Christian life. It describes the Christian life and how we're to walk. Well, we're, we're to walk as those who've been raised by God's power. Well, we're to walk as those who've been brought near uh, by God's power. We're to walk as people who live in the light of his truth rather than the darkness of error. And this idea of walking comes up again and again and again. In 4 verse 17, we're told that we should no longer walk like the Gentiles. In chapter 5, verse 2, we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And in 5, verse 7, we're to walk as children of light who no longer live in darkness. In 5, verse 15, we're commanded to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And so far in Ephesians, then, walking is big. Walking means being active in, in seeking to follow Christ. Walking means making progress, moving forward, growing in grace, being equipped by him in service. And so why this idea of standing here in chapter 6? Well, it adds another dimension, an important dimension to the Christian life, doesn't it? I mean, as much as it's important to think about walking as uh, moving forward, growing in Christ, the Christian life has two aspects, doesn't it, that we could say? In one sense, we're moving forward, we're taking ground, we're growing in grace, that's the point of walking. Uh, but in another sense, and this is key, I think, uh, to be faithful in the Christian life, you have to stay still. The goal of the Christian life is this, it is to go nowhere. And by which I mean we need to be sure that we don't move away from Christ. But we have to stand firm in the faith, not shifting from that great hope of the gospel. And I think of a, a, a time that uh, Sharon and I were visiting we had some friends in the UK. Uh, we were taking a walk across the beach. Now, I have to say, in England, that means we were taking a walk across a big pile of pebbles. And not only that, but we were walking through what I can only describe as gale force winds. And uh, it certainly didn't feel like we were making much progress. 
Uh, but in some sense, the Christian life is like that, isn't it? We're walking, but we're not just walking in the park uh, on a gentle day. There are fierce winds against us. And we have to walk, but we have to stand firm. Uh, and this is something that we saw uh, last spring when we worked through Paul's letters to the Colossians. And remember that idea of being rooted in Christ. Uh, to be rooted is to stand, it's to remain in one place, but yet at the same time the whole purpose of being rooted is, is so that you can grow up, isn't it? And there is this tension. And so sometimes we're told to walk, but at other times we're told to stand. And the Christian life is like a soccer team. Uh, you need a strong offense, yes, some strikers who are going to score the goals, but you also need a strong defense, uh, someone to uh, prevent you uh, letting a goal in from the other team. And so this is the point, we need God's help with defense. Uh, we need to be strengthened by God to take our stand, that is to stand firm in our convictions. Now perhaps right now that's exactly what you need to hear. Uh, maybe you're all too aware of this. Maybe you're under pressure and you can feel uh, amid that pressure your faith is beginning to slip. And maybe you're facing some sort of intense temptation. Or maybe you're tempted to doubt God because of some, some difficult situation. And maybe you feel crushed under suffering or under sin. Uh, you know full well that never mind thriving in Christ, surviving is often hard. Uh, and actually, God knows this better than we do, and that's why he tells us things like this in the Scriptures. And he calls us to be strong in him and in the strength of his might. He, he, he calls us to put on his armor. Uh, not so much to, to take ground and make progress, but simply to stand. Simply to stand firm. It, it takes all of God's strength to persevere in the Christian life, doesn't it? But why do we need to stand? What is it in this particular passage do we need to stand against? Well, that brings us to the final point. Be strengthened by God to take your stand. Uh, but against what? Well, uh, finally, our third point, against the schemes of the devil. Uh, this is our, our third and final point, and it comes from verse 12. Uh, verse 12 uh, tells us exactly why the armor of God is so necessary. Uh, look down with me at verse 12, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Uh, for Paul writes, But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Notice that phrase, heavenly places, that I want to highlight first. Uh, the heavenly places, Paul seems to use that phrase to describe uh, what we could refer to in general as the spiritual realm. He's reminding us of something that we see all over God's Word. That in addition to everything we can see, there is another higher spiritual reality. In Ephesians, this is something we've seen before. I've already mentioned one place. It's the location of our blessing in Christ, as we see in chapter 1, verse 3. It is the place to which Christ has been raised, in chapter 1, verse 20. And it's the place to which we have been raised and seated with Christ, in chapter 2, verse 6. And this is pretty striking. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 3, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. And this is where we learn something very important about the role of the church in God's cosmic purposes. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, we read that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be and now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You recognize that phrase? Uh, what Paul is saying is this, that as we meet for worship now, as we live our lives through Christ in the world, it's like we're out on the field. 
And there, up in the stand, all of God's angels are watching. But it turns out, just as at most uh, matches, not all the fans are on our side. Uh, while the angels cheer, we discover the demons are cheering. Uh, there are times uh, and uh, places, uh, sorry, what we see here is that not only are good powers at work in those heavenly places, but no, there, are the spiritual, there are spiritual forces of evil. Uh, and this is who our battle is against. I mean, Paul speaks here, doesn't he, of rulers, uh, of authorities, of cosmic powers over this present darkness, of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And now I think it's a mistake to try to isolate each of those individual phrases. Uh, some people have attempted to construct a whole hierarchy of demons based on just these verses. And they treat demons like they're marines with privates and corporals and sergeants and colonels. And that, I suppose, might be true, but I, I don't think that is really what this verse is communicating. And instead, there is a contrast here between, between these spiritual forces and flesh and blood. It's a good reminder, isn't it, that the big enemy of the Christian life is not actually other people. I'm sure we can experience a lot of conflict in the church, uh, but there is this greater conflict, a cosmic conflict we're drawn into, a conflict between good and evil. And how important to remember this, both as individuals, but also as, as a community. Uh, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He threatens our lives, our families, our church. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe in a real person, devil? I don't know how you couldn't believe in the devil if you believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus himself is incredibly clear on the devil's existence. And yet we often don't focus on this threat. We focus on other things. We focus on the threat of the world and its various temptations. Or we focus on the threat of the flesh, our own sinful desires that lead us astray so easily. Or we often say things like this, don't we? We say, I am my own worst enemy. But you actually aren't your own worst enemy. In fact, compared to the real enemy, you're actually pretty tame. I mean, imagine for a moment a person as evil as they could possibly be. Maybe your mind immediately moves to, to dictators, people like Pol Pot or Stalin or Hitler. Uh, but consider this, as terrible as those men were, they, they weren't all bad, believe it or not. I mean, I, I imagine that they did have some love for their own families, or at least. But imagine even that was taken away. Uh, imagine that evil was completely unrestrained. Imagine... Uh, that, that evil person, that, that entirely evil person, commanded a legion of, uh, of equally evil spiritual beings. And does that idea scare you? If it doesn't, I would suggest that it should. In fact, I believe, in one sense, that's Paul's aim in these verses. Uh, oh, he says, you look out of the window, you see the flesh and blood of those Roman armies. Well, well that's nothing. The real enemy is the devil who commands the cosmic forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I wonder if this is one of the reasons we fail to rely on God's strength. I wonder if this is one of the reasons why we forget we need the armor of God to protect us. We underestimate the enemy. And so we underestimate the help that we need from God. And I think about my time as a child. Sports were never my thing. I do have one memory of playing on our school rugby team. It was for one season when I had a bit of a growth spurt and I could run pretty fast on the wing. Now, rugby is a pretty rough sport. 
Uh, and uh, I have to say, this particular game was a particularly rough game. Uh, and what I remember about the other team is this. I think all of the players were twice our size. I mean, we're talking about David and Goliath. I'm surprised I'm still here. Well, how much more when we think about our spiritual so Spiritual forces of evil. Powers, authorities. Can we be a little bit fearful? But again, that is why Jesus taught us to pray every day. Leaders, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you believe in evil? If not, then why do you pray that prayer? And if you do, when you pray that prayer, why don't you pray that we mean it? And why don't we pray for ourselves, our families, our church, our leaders? But why don't we cry to God for safety? Now, after all, we know, don't we, the devil is no match for God. We saw that uh, in that passage from Job, didn't we? Even uh, Satan uh, is a God's beckoning call. And we even see that truth in Ephesians. Uh, Jesus is on the throne, having been raised. Uh, as we read in chapter 1, verse 20, in fact, turn back uh, to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, Paul writes about how God, in his great might, uh, that great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. And what he knew, he did well, he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places. Then look at verse 21. Where is Christ seated? Well, he's seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Uh, those are the very same words Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, words that he uses to describe our mortal enemy. And Christ has been exalted above all all things, everything. And he's been exalted above every physical threat to our safety, exalted above every spiritual threat to our safety. He is on the throne. He has dominion over all things, good and evil. And so what's the point of the armor of God? What's all of this about? How are we meant to understand this armor in the context of the book of Ephesians? And what we'll get into some of the details next week as we think about the different parts of that armor. But this is the big point. This is what it's all about. Uh, this is a call to be strengthened by Almighty God Himself. Uh, so that we can take our stand, so that we can stand firm in Christ. Uh, against, one, against what threat? Well, we need to be strengthened by God to take our stand against the schemes of the devil. And we can do that because Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ has been exalted. The Lord Jesus Christ has already won the victory. And so let's turn to him now. Uh, let's put on the armor of God. Let's ask God to keep us safe. To us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your great and mighty power that you've worked in our lives, that you have, uh, have worked for us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, thank you that you've raised us from the dead spiritually. Thank you that you've brought us near into your church. Uh, thank you that in your power you revealed your truth to us. Uh, and now as we, we seek to live for you, as we seek to walk for you, as we seek to stand firm, we pray that you, by your power, would strengthen us. Help us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Help us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Help us, Lord, by your strength, to stand firm. We pray this in Jesus' name.